Episode one of the Shakedown Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. It's been a long time coming. I am very excited to finally be here. Been thinking about doing this for a while and finally doing it. So this is a new podcast discussing all things NASCAR. We're going to be breaking down the latest news in the sport, recapping races, analyzing, reacting to the latest and greatest that is happening in the world of American stock car racing. We will be bringing on men and women who are right in the middle of all the noise working in the industry. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be different. I hope that this can be a space for both existing fans and new fans to come together and enjoy what we all love, and that is American Stock Car Racing. Before we actually get into our scheduled program for the day, let me just give you a little bit of background about myself, your host. My name is Mike Bachman. You probably don't know who the hell I am, and that's okay because you probably shouldn't know who I am yet. But I am a recent graduate of college, currently pursuing my master's degree. Been a fan of the sport basically since I can open my eyes, man. When I was younger, I was watching NASCAR. All my friends were watching the NFL and the NBA, and I basically had no one to discuss it with aside from my family. You know, I'm from the Northeast, and my kind up here, I'm like a needle in a haystack, you know? It, I'm, it's hard to find, so... Hope you guys are relaxed, kick back, crack open a cold one, whatever you got. Episodes are going to be dropping twice a week, every Tuesday and Friday. We have a lot to discuss today, so let's not waste any more time with this, and let's jump right into the action. All right, so we had a race on Thursday, not really going to get into it. Denny Hamlin won, fifth win of the season, great. There's a lot of news that I do want to talk about, though, today. Uh, that's come out recently, and I just want to give you my take on it. We'll start with the announcement that came a little while ago from NASCAR saying that the, there will be no more, no practice or qualifying for the remainder of the season. That includes the playoffs, and that does include the Daytona road course. So there are only three tracks that we have not been to yet this year that are remaining on the schedule. That is the Daytona road course, Richmond, and also the Roval. Now, Richmond and the Roval, these guys are professionals. They'll be able to get after it. You know, we saw them come back from Darlington. You know, everyone outside of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. made it through the first turn. So we expect guys to be able to handle that. It's going to be no problem. But I look at the Daytona Road Course, you know, a track that we've never been to before. There are a number of outstanding factors here that I think plays into this equation. You know, the first being that every series is racing that weekend. Is there going to be enough time to hold a practice session for these guys? I mean, if you hold a practice session for the Cup Series, you're going to have to hold practice sessions for every other series, Xfinity, Trucks, ARCA, whatever the case may be. So I just think logistically, there's not enough time to hold a practice session while trying to limit the amount of time that teams are at the track, You know, trying to maintain social distancing, the COVID protocols, all that stuff. So I just think logistically it's going to be tough. The other thing to consider is that more time on the track means that teams are going to be spending more money. I mean, we've already seen this COVID pandemic and the financial burden that it's placed on a number of small teams. We've seen Bob Levine come out and he's, he's listening to offers, possibly putting his team up for sale, which we'll talk about a little bit later and the implications that that may have with everybody involved. But, you know, guys, when they have practice teams and they have practice sessions, 
you know, bring in an extra car, that's more money spent, that's more time spent at the shop, and even them uh, trying to maintain social distancing protocol, you know, it's tough already. So just placing that extra burden on teams, you know, I get it. A lot of teams are struggling, you know, the more money that they could save, the better. So bringing that extra car is would definitely be more of a financial burden for, for teams. So in that sense, I do get it. But the Xfinity Series received practice time for the for the race at the Indianapolis Road Course. You know, I think we just assumed that the Cup guys were going to be getting practice time for the Daytona Road Course. But the Xfinity Series got a practice session, and that race was fantastic. I mean, an epic battle at the end between four or five guys, Austin Sindrick, Noah Gregson, Justin Haley, A.J. Allmendinger, and Chase Briscoe. It was a phenomenal finish. But I do want to reflect on a conversation that I did have with my dad over the weekend discussing this. My dad, you know, the reason why I got into the sport, basically been watching since the late 80s. And he looks at it from a traditional lens. And I think he has a very valid point in his opinion. You know, I'm not discrediting his opinion because I think it's certainly valid. I think there's a lot of people that can agree with him. I just don't. Uh, he's all about that bring your best stuff mentality, right? You know, guys show up to the track. They should be able to adapt to the track conditions and fix the car throughout the race without any practice time. They shouldn't be able to get that. You know, these guys are professionals. They should be able to do it. But going to a track that we've never been for before, especially a road course, I mean, there's just such an unknown sending it into that first corner. One of two things can happen. It could be a wreck fest. Or it could be an extremely boring race because no one's going to be uh, brave enough to take risks. But guys are going to have to take risks because this race could have huge playoff implications. It's only a couple weeks before the end of the regular season. So I just think giving these guys some practice, knowing that this race is going to have a lot riding on it for many drivers, some practice would be good. But again, maybe not having enough time to hold those practice sessions Maybe spending the money is great. And even looking at it from this angle, you know, it's better to tear up sheet metal during the race, not tearing up sheet metal during practice, and then all that money goes to waste. So if you're going to waste the money, you might as well waste it during the race when guys wreck out, right? So there are a lot of different ways to look at it. But now, you know, I want to look at the whole qualifying aspect and how this relates going into the playoffs, because this is one thing that I thought we were going to be able to see some qualifying for the playoffs. There's too much of an unfair advantage for guys in these random draws. You know, stage points are extremely valuable, and they are so important for these guys down the road, especially in the playoffs. And, you know, we expect that drivers in the top 12 in points, those are going to be the guys who are going to be starting at the top, guys that are going to be fighting for the pole. But still, we race at tracks where track position is everything. If you're starting in 15th, 20th, if you don't have a fast car, you're done. You have to be able to find that clean air. We just we have seen it. Track position means everything. It's really difficult to pass it's at a lot of these tracks. So that first stage specifically, you know, guys that are starting mid-pack versus guys starting up front, they obviously have an unfair advantage in that first stage because of how difficult it is to pass at some of these tracks. So I just think that it places an unfair advantage but at the same token, we expect the guys in the top 12 in points that are in that first draw that they are going to be there fighting for the pole and starting up front anyway. But still, I think that there should be a way that NASCAR can refine this system, maybe do it where it's less random. I mean, even if one, one qualifying lap in the playoffs, I mean, I just think that it's kind of silly that the championship race 
the starting line is going to be decided by a random draw, um, which could ultimately decide the the outcome of the race. Now, that's unlikely, but still, there is a lot that rides on that, and there should be a way where we can refine this system, make it less random, and make it so that everybody has a chance. You know, I really, really was into inverting the field at certain times. You know, 20th place in, in the finish is starting first the next the next race and so forth. So, you know, that I thought was uh, very interesting to shake things up. I just wish that we could get some sort of qualifying in the playoffs where every single race and point matters to these guys. But again, this is not a normal season. We're lucky enough to even be able to tr- almost, I mean, at this rate, get a full season in despite what is happening. So we should be thankful. You know, some things we're not going to like. I mean, but that's just the way that that's just the way it is. You know, at the end of the day, is it that big of a deal? Not really. You know, still, there's I just wish there was some way they could refine the system a little bit, which they may, especially when the playoffs start. But we'll just have to wait and see. But no practice or qualifying for the remainder of the 2020 season. That's going to shake things up. It has already. We'll see how it transpires down the line, especially once we get to the playoffs. All right. So I read an interesting tweet the other day from Hank Lee of PRN indicating the possibility that Hendrick Motorsports might be downsizing. Alex Bowman might be going to the 48 and the 88 might be shutting its doors. Now, this really caught me off guard because you think of Hendrick Motorsports, right? I mean, you think of them as this powerhouse team, one of the most successful teams in all of NASCAR. But Hendrick obviously is not where it once was. I just look at last decade. Look at the first half of last decade, 2010 to 2015. Hendrick Motorsports had 52 wins. 2016 to 2020, 18 wins. You know, Hendrick Motorsports was the powerhouse team back in the mid-2000s and early 2010s. You know, when you have a roster of Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Mark Martin, compared to now what you have, Chase Elliott, William Byron, Alex Bowman, and Jimmy Johnson, you know, the, the roster has received an infusion of youth, and it really has not worked out for them. It's taking longer for young drivers across the board to find success. Chase Elliott won his first race in 99 starts. Well, let's look at some other drivers. Jimmy Johnson won his first race in 13 starts. Jeff Gordon won his first race in 11 starts. Dale Jr. won his first race in eight starts. You know, back in the day, rookies were making an immediate impact coming into the Cup Series. It's taken them much longer now because they're so much younger. It's taken them much longer to really find that immediate success. And Hendrick Motorsports, ever since the Camaro was introduced, I mean, forget just Hendrick Motorsports, every Chevy team across the board has underperformed. They've been trying to refine this body style, bring in new body styles. And we saw early on this year that Chevy had strong speed. You know, everyone thought that Hendrick Motorsports was back at the beginning of the year. Alex Bowman winning at Auto Club, guys running well. They jumped the gun because when the pandemic happened, we got shut down. We, we came back. Hendrick Motorsports was not there. And now they've got two guys on the playoff bubble that may not make the playoffs. You know, Chase Elliott won the race. Alex Bowman won a race, but they really haven't been factors as of late. And with Jimmy Johnson set to retire, you know, that 48 is a coveted spot. And I think it's in Rick Hendrick's best interest that if that car is still going to be available, that he gets someone of veteran experience. That's why Brad Keselowski's name has been thrown around so much, because he is a proven veteran, a champion in the sport. 
you know, Hendrick's going to need somebody like that to lead this team. Is Chase Elliott ready to take over that role? No, he's not. He hasn't proven enough. He's been solid, but still making mistakes week after week when he's in contention, whether it's his doing or somebody else's doing. Alex Bowman, you know, it took him a couple of years to find success. He finally has found victory lane twice, but still he's consistent, but just not good enough. I think a lot of people were high on William Byron this year, including myself. I thought he was going to have multiple wins. It's still a possibility, but William Byron too has not really had that success this year working with crew chief Chad Knauss for year number two. I think we expected that relationship and that pairing to mold together a lot more than it has been showing. Again, these are unique circumstances, um, but still, we expected William Byron, I think, to run a lot better than he has, and now he's sitting right on the playoff bubble. And then Jimmy Johnson. You know, Jimmy Johnson, ever since he won his seventh championship in 2016, he's just not been there. Lowe's pulled out in 2017. He missed the playoffs last year for the first time in his career. He hasn't won since Dover of 2017. I mean, we're just waiting for that moment of Jimmy Johnson returning to victory lane. And he's had speed this year. Working with crew chief Cliff Daniels, I really like Cliff Daniels. I think that's a really good pairing for these two guys. Um, but Jimmy Johnson's had the speed, but again, he's making mistakes, whether it's his doing or somebody else's doing. These things are happening. I still strongly believe that Jimmy Johnson is going to find victory lane this year. But again, finding himself in a similar situation as last year, right on the playoff bubble, with a good shot of not making the playoffs, again, for the second year in a row. That's not how we want to see Jimmy Johnson go out. He is the greatest of all time. And he's had speed. They just really need to figure it out and figure out a way to finish races. But Hendrick Motorsports, I feel like that they're molding into what Roush has become. You know, Roush Fenway Racing mid-2000s was another powerhouse. They had Kurt Busch, Mark Martin, Carl Edwards, Matt Kenseth, Greg Biffle. This team had five beasts on that team. And now look at where they are just 10 years later or 15 years later, we'll call it. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. went through the program, bust. Trevor Bain went through the program, bust. We now have veteran Ryan Newman, who has outperformed that six car, especially last year, really hasn't been there this year. And Chris Busher, who has shown some speed in that 17, but really hasn't been there either. I think Hendrick Motorsports is on a path where they could mold themselves into what now Roush is becoming. They, they brought in the youth movement. It didn't work out for them. They brought in Ryan Newman to add some veteran presence there, and it's definitely elevated that organization to where it was. They have more competitive cars, but Hendrick Motorsports just needs to show more of that speed, and these guys I just don't think are ready to handle this team. They need a veteran on that team that can continue to lead them in the right direction. And is Brad Keselowski maybe the guy? Maybe. That 48 is going to be a coveted spot when the season ends. And depending on what happens here, you know, this was just a tweet that I saw, but interesting to speculate on. But if Hendrick Motorsports is going to shut down any car, why wouldn't they just shut down the 48? Let Jimmy Johnson go out, retire the 48, retire his number, and just let Alex Bowman kind of restart in the 88. I mean, he struggled with sponsorship, trying to find sponsorship this year. Is Ally going to jump on board with Alex Bowman if that's the case? Why don't they just jump onto the 88 and let Alex Bowman own that 88 car for his career? You know, uh, Jimmy Johnson, a seven-time champion, the greatest of all time, in my opinion. Let him go out and retire the 48 if you are going to retire any car and just let Alex Bowman continue to run the 88. 
with backing from Ally or with backing with the sponsorship that he brings in or continues to have down the road. You know, that just seems like the realistic possibility. I think that they should retire the 48. They should retire the three car. If if and when Richard Petty Motorsports shuts down, they should retire the 43. But can't always get what you want. You know, I just think that it would be respectful to do that just based on how much success these drivers have had. But this is just speculation. We'll see what transpires and if this gains any traction, if this is a possibility in the future. Um, you know, just very interesting because this, I, I don't think, was on anybody's radar. It wasn't on my radar, but just looking at Hendrick's Mo- Hendrick Motorsports as a whole, you know, showed that early speed this year. Then the COVID pandemic now returning and really not having any success. So are they becoming Roush Fenway Racing? Are these just bumps in the road? And are they going to prove themselves in the near future? I hope they do. We'll see what happens down the road, but... It is a possibility just based on how the team has run in recent years. All right, so I don't know if you guys are as excited as I am for the Superstar Racing Experience, this new racing series developed by Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham, but I am so excited for this. You know, I was I was really young when IROC was happening. I never really got into that, but this is going to be sort of a... I want to say sequel to IROC in a sense. No holds barred, short track racing with some of motorsports greatest and some of the most up and coming promising drivers. You know, I think this is going to be a ton of fun. So I thought it'd be interesting to lay out my dream roster. Ray Evernham indicated that there will be a 12 driver roster, 10 that are full time, and then two teams that have a rotating lineup of drivers, but I'm going to give you just 12 drivers that I would love to see racing in this series. Now, it was already noted that Tony Kanaan was the first confirmed driver, but I'm going to include Tony Kanaan. I'm also going to include Tony Stewart because we're assuming that he's going to be participating as well. So those are two right there. I'll give you my other 10 right here. Here's my dream roster for the superstar racing experience. So I wanted to make sure that I had a Good representation from a number of different disciplines in in motorsports. So let's go down the list. Number one is Scott Dixon from IndyCar. He's a five-time IndyCar champion, a 2008 Indy 500 winner. His name has been thrown around as a possible uh, driver for this series. I think Scott Dixon, one of the best. Uh, Would definitely love to see him. Number two is Jimmy Johnson, seven-time Cup Series champion. One of the best on short tracks. Nine wins at Martinsville, four wins at Phoenix, two at Bristol. I mean, Jimmy Johnson, he has indicated that he is just stepping away from full-time racing. You know, I think this would be an awesome discipline to Jimmy Johnson to run in the summer, see him back on the track. Would love to see Jimmy Johnson in the superstar racing experience. Another NASCAR driver that has shown interest that I would love to see is Greg Biffle. You know, Greg Biffle was solid in his racing career, had a very good season back in 2000, 2005, I believe it was. And, you know, since then, it really was just solid. In the back end of his career, he kind of fell off, but he has shown interest in competing in this series. And Greg Biffle, great personality. I think seeing Greg Biffle back into the mix of, into the mix of racing would be, would be a, nice, a nice breath of fresh air. And I have Helio Castroneves from... Now running IMSA, had a bunch of success in IndyCar, three-time Indy 500 winner, 
one of the most winningest drivers in Team Penske history. I mean, this guy, this guy was a stud at Team Penske, and I think it would be awesome to see him in this series. Then I have Sebastian Vettel, Formula One, four-time F1 champion, one of the greatest F1 drivers in history. That's the thing that, that you are seeing in this lineup. You know, these are heavy hitters in each discipline of the series. I don't know if you guys remember the name of Frank Kimmel, one of the greatest ARCA drivers in NASCAR history, a 10-time series champion. He won eight consecutive ARCA titles from 2000 to 2007. Frank Kimmel dominated the ARCA series. It would be so cool to see him back in a race car running short tracks in the superstar racing experience. Frank Kimmel, I think, is a name that needs to get more attention. I then have Kyle Larson on this list. Kyle Larson currently competing in World of Outlaws. He is suspended by NASCAR currently, but Tony Stewart loves Kyle Larson. He has been vocal about his support for Kyle Larson. He came out a couple years ago saying that Kyle Larson was the most talented driver in the NASCAR Cup Series. And just since returning to racing, since he returned to racing in May from his suspension, uh, then running dirt, Larson is over 30 wins since May. He has been dominating the dirt series since coming back. So Kyle Larson, he is one of the best on dirt, and Tony Stewart has been vocal about his support for Kyle Larson, so definitely would like to see him there. I then have Paul Tracy, who ran the Champ Car World Series. He was the 2003 Series champion, one of the most successful drivers in open-wheel competition, and, you know, his personality, he was a he was a go-getter. Take no prisoners, had swagger. It would definitely bring a lot to this series, I think. Paul Tracy, whose name has also been thrown around, uh, would love to see him back in a car. We then have Bubba Pollard, who is an interesting one, who runs super late models. One of the most successful short trackers of the decade. You know, I think you have a lot of these big names from IndyCar, F1, NASCAR. You need to shine the light on guys that run super late models week in and week out that have that success. Because they more likely will be the guys dominating these races. You know, running a similar car, uh, running short tracks every single week. Bubba Pollard, one of the best to do it. Definitely would be interested to see him in this series. And finally, uh, another name that I think should get a lot of attention is Brett Hearn, who runs Modifieds. And he is the Dirt Cars all-time winningest driver with what, nine, nine, 919 career wins. Really? He was the 1986 Driver of the Year by Eastern Motorsports Press Association. Brett Hearn, who is up here in my neck of the woods, up here in the Northeast, um, one of the best to ever do it. And another name that I think should get a lot of attention. But as you can see, with my roster, a bunch of star-studded racers. But you have Scott Dixon, Jimmy Johnson, Greg Biffle, Helio Castroneves, Sebastian Vettel, Frank Kimmel, Kyle Larson, Bubba Pollard, Brett Hearn, and Paul Tracy. That is who I would love to see in the Superstar Racing Experience. I'm so excited for this. been following everything they've been doing on Twitter. They're going to be announcing more drivers soon. Hopefully, we'll get to see what the cars are going to look like. It's going to be very, very awesome. I listened to Ray Evernham on the on the Dale Jr. download from, from last week and just what he had to say about it, and it's going to be a ton of fun. You know, just a nice little short track summer series with the best of the best and hopefully some up-and-comers. You know, I didn't have any up-and-comers on my list, basically. These are all just, you know, proven professionals in their discipline of racing, and just watching them go at it on short tracks would be so much fun. We'll be waiting for announcements over the next couple of weeks, but that is my dream roster.
All right, so we're going to back out of the throttle real quick. We are going to do this every single week, look at stories outside of the world of NASCAR. And it's great because sports are officially back. The NBA, the NHL, the MLB, back in full swing. But the MLB, a little bit of a bump in the road from this past week. Two games postponed Monday after at least 14 players and coaches from the Miami Marlins uh, contracted. COVID-19, so a little bit of a bump in the road. Does this spell, a lot of people are saying, oh, this spells the end of the, reg- end of the season for the MLB. No, it doesn't. You know, this is a reality that sports teams are going to have to face. Uh, NASCAR has faced it. Golf has faced it. The MLB has faced it. The NBA, I mean, everybody has. And it's tough for the MLB because they're not in a bubble. They were planning on playing the games in Florida and Arizona, but obviously with the jump in cases they decided they weren't going to do that but it's just a reality that sports teams have to face they have to up their protocols they have to you know up their procedures and what they're doing because obviously it's not really working um but this does not spell the end of the regular end of the season for the mlb it's still going to happen uh you know obviously unless this is a reoccurring situation but just a bump in the road for the MLB again it's just a reality that these sports teams have to face in the current climate that we're living in we'll jump now to the NFL Jamal Adams has been traded from the New York Jets to the Seattle Seahawks the Jets received safety Bradley McDougal a 2021 and 2022 first round pick and a 2021 third the Seahawks receive Adams and a 2022 fourth round pick the Jets man fleecing the Seahawks Getting Bradley McDougal, who's been in this situation before, when he came to Seattle, had to replace Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, the Legion of Boom. He's now replacing Jamal Adams, who, yes, was the best team or the best player on the New York Jets, but the Jets in rebuild mode, receiving great draft capital, two first-round picks, and Bradley McDougal, who is, you know, not a terrible safety. 29 years old, had a pretty decent season last year. The Jets, obviously, a lot of Jets fans are going to be sad to see Jamal Adams go because letting your best player go, nobody wants to see that. But the Jets got a lot in return, and the Seahawks now, they're in Super Bowl mode. I think that picking up Jamal Adams, they believe that Jamal Adams elevates them to a Super Bowl winning team in the one, arguably the toughest division in, in the NFL. So the Jets shipping him out, the Seahawks bringing him in. Now to the PGA Tour, Michael Thompson wins the 3M Open, captures his second victory on tour, his first since 2013. And the big news coming out in the boxing world, Mike Tyson is back fighting Roy Jones Jr. in an eight-round exhibition match. That match will be held September 12th at Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. And get this, Nate Robinson, former New York Nick, former dunk champion, will fight YouTuber Jake Paul in the undercard. Man, if you told me that Mike Tyson would be fighting Roy Jones Jr. and one of the undercards was going to be Nate Robinson versus Jake Paul, I think you're out of your damn mind. But it's happening September 12th. Uh, should be very, very interesting. Hopefully, you know, this isn't just a publicity stunt, you know, just something to make a crap ton of money. Uh, you know, hopefully that we actually get a decent fight out of this because I've seen Mike Tyson. I've seen, well, I've seen his training videos, man, and would not want to be on the other end of that putch. I can tell you, I can tell you right now. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, we are just over halfway in the NASCAR Cup Series season. I do want to hand out some of my mid-season awards and also give you some bold predictions for the second half of the season. So I got a couple of different award categories here. We will start with the mid-season champion. 
And it has to be Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick, Denny Hamlin have been the two most dominant cars this year. But I give the edge to Kevin Harvick. Denny Hamlin has more wins with five, but Kevin Harvick has been the guy, I think, for a while now. I mean, as soon as the green flag dropped at Daytona, he was on it. And this team has been on it to date. He has 16 top 10s, only three finishes outside of the top 10, as I said, with four wins and a worst finish of 26th. So this team is finishing races week in and week out. The pit crews have been consistent. Harvick has been finding his way, and he's always there at the end challenging for the win. I mean, the other thing to consider is he's a master of the playoff system. Denny Hamlin, you know, that team, as dominant as they are in the regular season, for some reason, they just fall apart in the postseason, especially, you know, towards the end, heading to the championship four, and they really have to fight their way in there. But Kevin Harvick's a master of this playoff system. He won the first championship in this format in 2014 and since then has made all but one championship for appearance so he is always there at the end and week in and week out he's taking all these youngsters to school I mean all these guys all these young drivers are going to have master degrees by the end of the season just because of how much Kevin Harvick has dominated the competition so Kevin Harvick has to be the midseason champion just with his consistency his dominance and how he performs in the playoffs down the road, Kevin Harvick is my midseason champion. We'll now move to best rookie. Now, there's a lot of hype, obviously, with this rookie class coming into the season. You have the big three of Christopher Bell, Cole Custer, and Tyler Reddick. I do want to shout out John Hunter Nemechek, who was completely ignored, I think, but has really done a solid job in that front row motorsports 38. He deserves more credit for what he is doing and what he has done in that car. You know, really outperformed it. You know, I just feel like got put got placed on the back burner when we were talking about this rookie class. So I definitely think that John Hunter Nemechek needs to get some recognition for what he's done in that 38. But we look at Cole Custer. Yes, he has that win at Kentucky, but before then was non-existent. You know, he's arguably in the best equipment among rookies. Well, I mean, it's not even close. He's in the best equipment among rookies and, you know, was struggling to finish inside the top 25. You know, that win in Kentucky, I'm not saying he didn't deserve it because he drove his way up there and you know, fought at the end, but just because he has that win does not warrant him as the best rookie. Christopher Bell has shown some flashes of improvement over the last couple of weeks in that number 95, but he had an awful start to the season. I mean, it has to go to Tyler Reddick. Tyler Reddick, I think, has been one of the most exciting rookies to watch in some time, and he's been consistent over there at RCR. Six top tens, he's in contention to make the playoffs. If RCR is able to get both of their cars into the playoffs, that would be huge for that team. And Tyler Reddick has proven that he is worth a Cup Series ride. He has elevated this RCR team. We've seen Austin Dillon over there at Texas getting that win, and he's just been running well. Tyler Reddick has really lit a fire, I think, on our RCR's ass, and they have really improved their performance on the track. So good for Tyler Reddick. He's right there in contention. Would not be surprised if he is there at the end in the playoffs and then eventually in victory lane. We now go to the most coveted award to be handed out. The biggest disappointment. And it goes to our favorite. We all love her so, so much. It's friggin' Mother Nature. Good Lord, man. It has been dreadful to say the least with the weather dealing with this year. And, you know, it's understandable because we're racing at tracks that we wouldn't necessarily race at in the summer months with this COVID pandemic and just restructuring the schedule. But I mean, almost half of the races this year have been delayed by weather. 
in some capacity, whether it's rain, whether it's lightning delays. I mean, I, re- I think back to Homestead when we had like 476 lightning delays and guys would get into their cars and then five minutes later, you know, they strap in, they're ready to go. And it's like, oh, we got a lightning strike, 30 more minutes, guys. You know, it wasn't that fun. Get five laps around the track. Time to sit out once again. No. I mean, it's always a guessing game. I feel like every single week, whoa, we're going to get the full race in. Is it going to be delayed? We're going to get postponed. You know, it's it's been tough. So Mother Nature, if you're listening to us, please, we are begging that we get some better luck here in the second half of the season. Please. I think we've been through enough agony with the weather and how it's transpired so far. It's been very disappointing to say the least. It's been dreadful to watch sometimes, but... Hey, you know, stuff like that happens. Nothing nothing you can do about it. It's out of our control. It's just we are unfortunately there to sit through it. Hopefully we get some better luck second half of the season. Now moving on to the biggest surprise. Now, I think the obvious choice here is Kyle Busch. He hasn't been a factor basically at all this year. He has one stage win that he got last week at Kansas, um, but he just hasn't been there. He is indicated that the lack of practice has really hurt his performance you know he's one of those guys that really fine-tunes that car that team really fine-tunes it gets it ready um and he has been vocal about how it's been tough without practice and i think that that's the obvious choice kyle bush is defending a championship this year and we really just haven't been talking about it but that's not who i'm going to throw in here and give that award to i want to give it to richard petty motorsports because i think a lot of people forget that this was a team on the verge of shutting down last year. There was a lot of speculation if that team was even going to make it out of last year. There was a lack of sponsorship. Bubba Wallace, that team, didn't have a crew chief until about a couple weeks before the Daytona 500, so they were really scrambling. But this year, bringing in Jerry Baxter once again, pairing him with Bubba Wallace, and Bubba Wallace has been outperforming and having a career year. He has eight top 15 finishes this year compared to just one last year up to this point. This team last year struggled to finish inside the top 30 in points, and Bubba Wallace currently 20th. So that's a 10-point increase from last year. And Bubba Wallace, obviously, has been in the news. He's been the face of NASCAR, obviously, with everything that has gone on in society with so- with the social injustice. But, you know, with all of that, with all of that noise off the track, his performance on the track has been exceptional. And I think it needs to get more appreciation and consideration because this team was on the verge of shutting down last year. And they have really improved themselves uh, with everything going on. So credit to that team. Credit to Bubba Wallace and Richard Petty for what they did. Bringing in Jerry Baxter definitely has paid off for him. So good job to that team being there and competing and running inside the top top 15, top 20 week in and week out. So good for Bubba Wallace and good for Richard Petty Motorsports. Now up to this point, who is on the hot seat? We're heading into the second half of the season. Who has the most to prove? And there are two drivers on this list that I look at. I first want to look at Clint Boyer, who is in a contract year with Stuart Oss Racing. He has been vocal about his desire to remain at Stuart Oss Racing. His career and his time at SHR has not been stellar. It's actually been less than mediocre. He only has two wins in four years with the team, and he's on the playoff bubble once again. I mean, throughout most of the season, Clint Boyer was in a pretty comfortable point cushion, but then we see Cole Custer get a win. Then the week after, we see Austin Dillon get a win. Two drivers outside of the playoffs that secure spots in the playoffs. You know, Clint Boyer has been decent this year, but he has not had winning speed. And he's just kind of there running in the top 15, 
that's not going to win you a championship, and that's not going to get you far in the playoffs. So Clint Boyer, who now is closer to the playoff bubble than he has been all season, with a decent and legitimate shot of missing the playoffs once again. And with that 14 team, with the talks of Kyle Larson and Stewart's uh, fondness of him and some other some other names being thrown around, you have Chase Briscoe in the Xfinity Series, who has been dominant all season and really trying to prove himself to get a cup ride. You know, Clint Boyer, could he be on the way out? He really is going to have to step up his performance in the second half of the year. He has to make the playoffs, and he has to get out of that first round if he wants to stay with Stuart Haas Racing, in my opinion. So Clint Boyer needs to find some more speed and needs to just start racing better and performing better and finishing better. But I also look at Eric Jones, who is another driver who has had a down year. And he is also in a contract year on the playoff bubble once again. And as I mentioned before, we talk about that situation with Bob Levine and Levine Family Racing potentially shutting their doors. If they do that and Christopher Bell is without a ride for the 2021 season, Joe Gibbs is going to have to make an extremely difficult decision on who he's going to want to put in that 20 car. Is it going to be Eric Jones? Is it going to be Christopher Bell? Eric Jones is going to have to make the playoffs. He is going to have to win a race, in my opinion. Uh, Christopher Bell, I think, has more potential than Eric Jones does. Eric Jones is in top equipment and has shown nothing, basically, in his time with Joe Gibbs Racing. I think Christopher Bell has a lot more to gain. He also has a lot more to lose. So Eric Jones, again, on the playoff bubble, has the chance of missing the playoffs in 2020. These are two guys, Eric Jones, Clint Boyer, they're going to have to perform in the second half of the season, make the playoffs if they want to have a cushion of keeping their ride for 2021. So a lot of different storylines in this 2020 season, a lot of great performers, a lot of underperforming individuals. But now with that, let's now lay out some bold predictions for the second half of the season. Oh man, this is going to be fun. All right, so you guys may think that I'm crazy with some of the things that I'm about to tell you, but there are legitimate possibilities for all of these things, and I can completely be an idiot, or I could be a genius. We'll see what transpires, but here we go. These are my bold predictions for the second half of the season. Number one, I predict that Kurt Busch will finish higher than Kyle in the final point standings. This has only happened three times between brothers. Kurt Busch has finished higher than Kyle Busch in 2005, 2009, and most recently, 2011. Um, Kurt Busch has been the king of consistency in that one car. They finish races. They have good speed. I predict that he will get a win, and I do think that he'll finish higher than Kyle in the points. Kyle Busch, again, as we have documented, has not been his normal self defending a championship this year. I mean, no wins, hasn't been contending for wins. He has that one stage win, like his brother Kurt, who also has one stage win, but I just think Kurt Busch, that one team, at the end of the day, is going to be more consistent. Last year, an early playoff exit in the first round, but Kurt Busch, I think, still has something to prove, and I think we'll finish higher than Kyle Busch in the final standings. Even if it's just by one position, Kurt's going to finish higher than Kyle, and he will now do it for the fourth time in his career. I predict that the COVID-19 restrictions will and should become more heavily enforced. You know, when NASCAR returned to live racing, they were setting the precedent for how things were being carried out. And I know that they're in a unique situation where, you know, guys are in the cars and it's a lot more, I would say, easy to monitor things uh, than 
a contact sport like football or basketball. But still, recently we have seen that the COVID-19 restrictions, they have really become lax since returning. I mean, we saw the incidents with Chase Elliott going up into the stands and watching the All-Star Open for one. And then, you know, at the fence and high-fiving fans, you know, we see most fans without a mask. You know, masks should be required for everybody throughout the entire race when they're in the stands. They shouldn't just be allowed to, you know, walk around without a mask. If they're if they are going to walk around, wear the mask. If they're just going to sit down at their at their spot, you know, take off the mask. But uh, they need to be wearing the masks. And because seeing those crowds and congregations of people at the fence with Chase Elliott in that one situation, you know, is not a good look for the sport at all. We saw the fight between Noah Gregson and Harrison Burton, Noah Gregson without a mask. It is, it's just something that has become part of our everyday lives that, yes, you know, especially as a professional athlete, you're not thinking about that stuff in the heat of the moment. But when I saw Ryan Priest hit the inside wall as hard as he did, he was frustrated. He was pissed off. The first thing he did was whip out his mask and put it on. If Ryan Priest is able to hit the wall head on at 100 80 mile an hour, however fast he was going, as frustrated as he was, and put on the mask, then guys can put on a mask after they've won a race or if they're in an altercation with somebody. It's not that hard. Just do it. These restrictions are going to have to be enforced because they have become lax. I mean, I don't think we'll see fans at races down the line. I mean, I just honestly think that we shouldn't at this point. And who knows? You know, we're on track of getting a full season in. We might not get that if these things continue to be not enforced. The championship race is in Phoenix, in Arizona, a hotspot. We're racing twice at Daytona in Florida, another hotspot. We're going back to Texas. You know, we're going to Vegas. We're going to a lot of these tracks where, you know, down the line, especially if they're predicting that we're going to get as big of a second wave of this virus as we are, we might not be finishing the season. So we need to be grateful of what we have. And the sport needs to further enforce these COVID-19 restrictions so that we can get a full season in. So it's something they're going to have to do. They're going to have to find drivers. They're going to have to find teams if they are violating these rules. That's just the way it is. That's just the reality that these teams are in and that sports are in now. So these restrictions will become more heavily enforced just after certain situations that have shown that fans aren't taking it seriously, that you know some drivers in the heat of the moment, uh, things happen, but these protocols just have to be more heavily enforced. And I think that we will we will be seeing that down the line as we get closer to the fall. I do predict that Matt Benedetto will win the Daytona road course, the first race at the Daytona road course. Now, Matt Benedetto is probably the closest thing to a road course warrior. You know, AJ Allmendinger was always that guy, but I think Matt Benedetto is that new guy. You look at his finishes last year at road courses, finished fourth at Sonoma, sixth at the Glen, and 11th at the Roval. Matt Benedetto is also right there on the playoff bubble. I do think that he will get a win. I think it's going to come at the Daytona Road Course. He has shown a lot of great speed in that 21, and I like Matt Benedetto a lot. He has a great personality. He is very genuine. He has risked his career hoping for a chance in the Cup Series, and he's getting it, and he has performed, and he has done very well. And I think he's going to secure his spot in the playoffs with a win at the Daytona Road Course. Finally, oh, finally, as I've said before, I am extremely confident in this driver. I believe in this driver to the end of his career. I predict 
that Jimmy Johnson will sweep, that's right, take a broom to the competition and sweep the Dover doubleheader weekend. Now, Jimmy Johnson has 11 wins at Dover, including his most recent in 2017. And Jimmy Johnson, as I said, has brought speed to these tracks. The team just can't finish these races. If there's any track that Jimmy Johnson's going to get that special win at, it's going to be Dover. And why not make it two? Why not make it the Jimmy Johnson weekend? He's going to sweep both races at Dover in August. And Jimmy Johnson has to be the most disrespected seven-time champion that we do have. Uh, I came across a video the other day on Twitter of just the compilation of him wrecking, making mistakes. I mean, come on, guys. Richard Petty went winless in his final eight seasons. Dale Earnhardt had one winless season in his final five seasons. Jimmy Johnson won five straight championships in the most competitive time in NASCAR. I mean, yes, he hasn't won in two years, but come on, enough of this nonsense. Jimmy Johnson's the greatest of all time. He will sweep the Dover doubleheader. He will lock himself into the playoffs, and he will ride off into the sunset at his most successful track, and that is Dover International Raceway. It's funny. I was actually at Jimmy Johnson's uh, most recent win at Dover in 2017 in the pits, so I, I want to see Jimmy Johnson win. I have so much confidence in this team. Just It's unfortunate that he finds himself in a similar situation as last year, knowing how fast his, these cars have been. They just have to finish races. You heard it here first. Document it. I want to be the first to know if I was a genius or if I was a complete dunce on this. Jimmy Johnson will sweep the Dover to doubleheader in August and lock himself into the playoffs. So those are some of my bold predictions. You guys might think I'm crazy, but you have to be bold. You have to put yourself out there. You have to be able to defend these things, and that's what I'm doing here today. All right, if you can believe it, that's basically going to do it for episode one here of the Shakedown Podcast. You can follow this podcast on social media, on Twitter, at Shakedown underscore pod, or on Instagram, also at Shakedown underscore pod. You could also follow me on Twitter if you guys care, at MV Bachman, that is B-A-C-H-M-A-N-N on Twitter. If you want to continue the conversation over there, let me know what you guys think. If you guys have any suggestions, anybody that you want to see or hear from on this podcast. Keep your eye out for a YouTube channel coming soon. We're going to, have to be posting content on YouTube in the near future, so be sure to keep your eyes out for that. We will have a new episode on Friday previewing the race at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Should be a fun one. I was hoping to maybe get to the track on Sunday, but I will be moving into a new place uh, this weekend. So looking forward for looking forward to that. But I will see you guys on Friday. Appreciate you guys listening. Thanks for sticking with me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I hope you guys are ready. I'm super excited, and I appreciate you guys listening. So enjoy the rest of your week. We will debrief on Friday. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys. 